Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. Time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Yeah, fun fact. I have a thing about Westerns. What? Come at me. I didn't anyway, know that. Anyway, yeah, okay. I know. I reveal things slowly on this show. So come at me. But uh, yeah, so like Unforgiven, uh, The Man With No Name, Trilogy, all that stuff. Wild Spaghetti Wild Westerns. Wild... Shut up. <laughs> you almost got me with that. The Magnificent <laughs> ah, You were saying it. Okay. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of ComicBook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today in the studio, we have Mr. Connor Casey back. What's going on, guys? Matthew Aguilar's here as always, or almost always. What up, peoples? And back on our remote channel, our ComicBook.com whore slash Star Wars maestro and... Uh, the guy who keeps us from misspelling everything that we do, uh, Mr. Patrick Cavanaugh is back. What up, world? And you can hear us and see us now, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't say that's like a good thing, but I can see you. Yes. Wow. Wow. We got to look at your face in the box for the next time. Really? Like, you're doing all right. You're doing all right. But uh, Patrick's here because we have some good, fun stuff to talk about today, as you saw from this episode title. We're going to be talking about the new Candyman trailer. We're also going to be doing a review of the horror movie remake of The Invisible Man. So, of course, we need our horror expert here for both of those things. But that is not the only thing we're going to be doing. We're going to talk about an interesting little uh, Marvel what-if that could have happened that I think we're going to promote mostly because I just want to see this happen. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some shakeups in the Indiana Jones franchise. And we're going to give you also a little bit of anime uh, in the form of a review of My Hero Academia Heroes Rising, if time permits. If not, we'll just do that next show. Uh, because we have some wrestling to talk about today, we thought... Connor wouldn't be available for us because he was going to be out there doing what he does, covering a live event. But uh, now it's kind of wrapped up in spectacular fashion. Yeah, it, <laughs> if it looks like I'm disheveled, it's because I just came from covering the show and it, it didn't end well. Uh, what show are we going to be talking about today? Super Showdown. All right, so WWE Super Showdown, and we're going to be uh, closing out with that segment. So all you wrestling fans, be sure to hang in. But let's start up at the top of things today in our news segment. Let's talk about that Candyman reboot or a remake or no, it's not a remake. It's Candyman reboot or Don't sequel. Don't say his name. You're already yeah. two down. Yeah, I'm already the two down right there. The resequel. Yeah, the resequel um, <laughs> of Candyman. And so we got the first trailer today, which featured uh, Yaya Abdul Martin. It was a very kind of 
good, stylish. People have been calling this Jordan Peele's Candyman. He, he's not, which is sucks because it's a female director who's just getting overshadowed by Jordan Peele right now. But uh, it's not Jordan Peele. But the reason why I could feel that way is this looks very much in the line of like Jordan Peele's horror productions. Uh, it feels very much like a Get Out uh, slash. And um, what's that new horror movie that's coming out? Antebellum. It feels like almost it could be like in the same universe as Antebellum. So it really did kind of take this new approach. And I think Charlie Ridgely even compared it to like a Shining vibe to The Candyman, which was, you know, a cult classic 90s horror film starring Tony Todd, uh, the now icon Tony Todd. But this one is very much kind of about like the legacy of The Candyman and what it means. There's already fans have put together that Yaya's character could have some important ties to the first movie, and this could really be a direct sequel in many ways to that film. The concept and how, of course, it's always about the concept, the whole Bloody Mary slash Candyman concept and how it's executed. And there's one sequence in the trailer that shows a bunch of girls in the high school bathroom and kind of shows how that can play out very in a very scary fashion without necessarily being so gruesome. Like one girl's in the stall, while all these other mean girls are kind of like playing a game and get slaughtered while she's just listening to this happen. Yeah. Um, and so we saw things like that. And some other interesting concepts of how, and this one has much better effects to show like the Candyman being very real, but also like not real at the same time of people getting dragged around and killed by what looks like invisible forces, but is really this supernatural killer. And it looked like other themes about kind of urban life, gentrification, all this stuff are going to be kind of wrapped up in this story. And the first one, was very much heavy on those metaphors. It was set in the projects um, with this white lady who comes into the projects to investigate. And uh, I don't know how to describe it. I'm kind of at a loss for good words that mean good stuff right now. But um, kind of the cultural clash of that and yeah. doing that and kind of forcing this person from outside urban America to take a look inside urban America in the history of slavery and all this stuff. So it looks like the new Candyman is going to kind of carry on the tradition but look a lot prettier in the process. Uh, so I was impressed with this trailer. Patrick, how about you? Put some horror expertise on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, the original Candyman and obviously this one uh, based on a, a Clive Barker story. And Clive Barker is bananas. You know, like Hellraiser is obviously one of his more well-known uh, uh, mythologies that he created. So when you watch the original Candyman, sure, it's about, you know, saying his name five times into a mirror and him with his hook hand coming out of the, the mirror. But there's just so many other supernatural, cultural, political, racial, gender issues all going on at play. Uh, so that's why I think having Nia DaCosta, and it was, you know, written, co-written by Jordan Peele. So he is a little bit more involved than just producing it or something like that. So I think, you know, from this first look, it's it's definitely a good mix and it will honor the roots of Clive Barker while also uh, exploring all those themes of, and of course, Nia DaCosta talked a lot about the, the gentrification of Cabrini Green in Chicago and how, yeah, there's like a Whole Foods right down the corner from this famous relic of Chicago projects. So uh, I'm, I'm not a huge Candyman fan, but I'm super excited for everybody who, who has uh, uh, deep ties to this movie to see this figure brought back uh, to life. I mean, I kind of agree with you what you said as far as like, I kind of do also feel bad for the director because it is like, it's very much 
Jordan Peele is starting to become like Michael Bay in the sense that whoever directs the movie doesn't really matter. If Michael Bay's name is anywhere on the producer list, everyone says it's a Michael Bay movie. Like it doesn't, it's it's starting to have that effect. To be fair though, in this case, this feels like if I watch the trailer for us and I watch the trailer for this, there are so many similarities in like how it's paced, the music, yeah. seeing the Destiny's Child Destiny's song Child, reworked name, yeah. has very okay. much I got five on it vibes, right? It's yeah, I'm and, actually kind of surprised he's not just directing. Yeah, like so there are I can see why someone who's not as in tune with the actual like what is going on with this particular movie would get those things i i am excited i didn't like the first half of the trailer i love the second half of the trailer like it, it hooked me by the end that i was i was in but the first half i felt like like really dragged like i don't know why and i like there's some cool parts like when the girl's hair gets tossed up just enough to look like someone's messing with it but you don't see anybody there like that's that's cool and i kind of hope they play with that more but like some of the scenes that are supposed to be like freaky like the dude like who's grabbing at the door but like his whole body's being like it's being levitated and like he's being pulled like that part. Some of those parts just like didn't land with me, and I was like, I hope the it's not showing its best parts because I hope to see better stuff than that. I expect more in this day and age. You know what I mean? I mean, it's gonna be a sequence of Candyman kills. I wouldn't expect much more. And yeah, <laughs> like, that's kind of what he does. But but like uh, how they look, like but, visually. I mean, it's a good setup because what you're setting up is an interesting discussion for when we get to Invisible Man and how Invisible Man kind of handled this exact same concept of the killer you don't see and all that and did some smart things that I'm worried this film will not do as well. So uh, it's kind of an interesting parallel, but we'll talk about that when we get to uh, Invisible Man. Any uh, final thoughts on Candyman? Anybody want to look in the camera and say his name five don't times? Do yeah, I don't do that. I, I think we've hit five already between the four of oh, us. Oh, yeah. It, oh, it's, it's, wait. Not, it's not in a mirror, and we're not in Chicago. But so does it have to be in succession, or yeah. can it be cumulative? Because that's uh, not it's, cool. It's, it's <laughs> the new movie like that. will explain. That, that's the thing about Candyman. The best rules, part of the they, trailer is the girl they who kind of says make up that. the rules as they go. Like you, who no, likes, the best part is like the the cut to her saying, up, 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 yeah, like, that, don't that, say it. I thought like, that yeah. was so realistic. Yes. Yeah, well, it's also like, it's also great because that's like a total black woman trope in a horror movie who's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to attempt this. <sighs> All right. So that'll do it. Be sure you go on comicbook.com horror and check out the Candyman trailer. Moving right along to the world of Marvel. So uh, one of our esteemed video editors, Nick Floyd, uh, had an interview with an actor slash writer, uh, Adam G. Uh, Simon, who is actually in the process of co-writing the Raid Redemption remake that's called, uh, what's it called, Zeno, I think now they've changed the name to or something like that? Uh, or is that a different film? I forget. Anyway, he's always working on the Raid Redemption remake that Joe Carnahan is doing. You know, Smoke and Aces, the A-Team, Joe Carnahan, the Grey. So we got to talk to him, and during that conversation, Nick kind of stumbled on something pretty interesting that we posted on comicbook.com Marvel today, which was that Adam G. Simon had worked on and pitched a punisher movie script to marvel studios and this was obviously this hasn't been something that's you know been put in the pipeline or is getting made or announced but it was it went far enough that he did the pitch like he prepared an entire kind of pitch script and concept for the film and he went to marvel studios and and he pitched it to them so if you're wondering kind of what the concept was and why we found it interesting he kind of talked about how Punisher is a character like he evolves his ideas for as things progress. So like we're not in the same zone as like after Punisher Warzone and all that like a while ago. We now have this new Punisher series with John Bernthal 
And so what his script did was not throw out all that and like try to start over and do a MCU Punisher thing. It basically was picking up as a sequel to the series. So it would be Burnthal and we would have gone through the deep drama of Frank Castle to just, you know, the end of season two with the fully just, you know, tricking people and murdering them, Punisher, taking out gangs, all of that. And basically, like, what the script would be was he compared it to 310 to Yuma, the f- kind of famous Western film with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale, like one of my be- favorite Westerns of all time. Yeah, fun fact. I have a thing about Westerns. What? Come at me. I didn't but anyway, know anyway, Yeah, okay. I know. I reveal things slowly on this show. So come at me. But, uh, yeah, so, like, Unforgiven, uh, The Man With No Name, Trilogy, all that stuff, Wild Spaghetti Wild Westerns. Wild... Shut up. <laughs> you almost got me with that. The Magnificent <laughs> Seven. You were saying it. Okay. Yeah, the both Magnificent <sighs> Seven versions. Like, all that stuff I love. So 310 to Yuma is one of the great ones. James Mangold, before he did Logan and all that. Uh, Christian Bale, Russell Crowe, about a kind of farmer that has to get this very famous outlaw, Russell Crowe's the outlaw, Christian Bale's the farmer, to this train in Yuma, and he'll get money that he'll be able to kind of save his farm and his family. Um, and, of course, it's not an easy journey. Doesn't uh, end well. What's up? Doesn't end well. No, 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 it doesn't end well. Well, I mean, it ends well for Logan Lerman, but that's a whole separate story. So what this Marvel Punisher movie would have been would have been after the events of the Punisher series, Endgame and all that, when the world has been through this calamity, that Frank Castle decides that, you know, the biggest villains really taking out street criminals isn't it anymore. It's all this superhero, supervillain crap that's really screwing up the world. And he would want to punish the person in kind of most responsible for this, who he would deem and kind of identify and investigate as Nick Fury, the person who kind of kicked off the Avengers initiative, did all this stuff. And so basically he would kind of infiltrate and get to Nick Fury, um, which would set off a whole chain of events in which, you know, the Marvel heroes, the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization... And some villains that would fit into the story would all now be on pursuit of the Punisher, who's trying to pull this kind of 310 to Yuma and keep Nick Fury. Uh, well, Nick Fury is obviously trying to outwit the Punisher and get away. Um, and it would be this kind of movie where eventually they would have to team up because whatever the villain threat would be would force kind of Castle to, to work with Nick Fury. There would be appearances from like kind of the spy, S.H.I.E.L.D.-related Avengers, Falcon, Black Widow, Hawkeye, stuff like that in pursuit of Frank Castle. And all of that, which sounded like a pretty dope yeah, Punisher movie if you're going to do one for the MCU. So, like I said, we just wanted to put that out there because, one, we thought it was interesting. And, two, that's not something that sounds too bad to happen. You know, if you're going to get Punisher into the MCU somehow yeah. and John Bernthal's Punisher, like, this seems like a good way you could do it. And Bernthal wants to play that character yeah. again. Oh, I threw that back link in there. Yeah. Like, yeah he's like, still game. Like, Bernthal's not going away. And setting it like that, that character, like, that's a perfect re-entry into an entry into the MC. Like that is a perfect way to get Nick Fury back into things. Cause now we've seen like at the end of some of the more recent movies, like Nick Fury's influences again, expanding in different ways in the background. And also I just love that he was like, I want Eminem to do the soundtrack. Oh yeah. Because Eminem was so mad that the Punisher series got canceled. He would have Eminem do the soundtrack. Like he had a full plan. And yeah, this was a man with a, a plan. It worked so well with Venom. Oh, Venom. <laughs> wait, wait, first of all, Eminem on Venom was awesome. That was terrible. Venom, Venom, I Venom. think before you say words like all, like terrible, you need to take Venom and Eminem. That's terrible. And compare it to Kendrick Lamar and Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'll and then take Kendrick that. Lamar and Black Panther. And then take and that. Then smashes it. And then take that and compare it to Wiz Khalifa and Ninja Turtles and Shell-Shocked and all that. Yeah, like, that was bad. That yeah, was bad. So but then we go back. I'm, I'm putting it on the level of like Black Panther album. To Will like Smith, those those mofo's fails. are getting sued. Like Will Smith yeah. and Wild Wild West. 
Taking it back to Westerns. Oh That's a great God. song. That's Will the best Smith part of the whole Men, movie. Will Smith and Men in Black. Dude, wow, wow, I stand with Eminem and Venom. Uh, you're on your Venom. own. Venom. 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 Right here. This whole thing, knock, by the way, knock, let shows the devil how in. successful it was. It because was. You hate it. I hate you it. know the chorus. No, I know. I know the one. I know the two syllables. That's all that matters. All they wanted you to do is walk around in the real world saying Venom, <laughs> and it worked. And it worked. And that's why we got Venom too. Thank you, Connor. <laughs> all right. So I'm sorry for Woody Harrelson's wig. <laughs> if you want to, we're in the process right now of reaching out to Adam G. Simon and seeing if we can't get the sample pages from his script that he prepared, so we could actually. Look over them, but uh, that's a work in progress. But if you want to know more, go on comicbook.com, Marvel, check it out, and hit up Comic Book Nation hashtag and let us know what you think of that pitch for that Punisher movie. Patrick, what did you think? I, f- I remember you had some kind of funny things to say about the series. Did you like the series? Uh, I did. I, I tried to watch the series. Yeah. I couldn't get into it. I love Punisher Warzone, mm. and so I think um, Punisher, kind of like Hulk or even, in my opinion, like, Harley Quinn, it's a character who works better with other characters to play off of as opposed to getting their own entire narrative devoted to them. So really, I kind of tuned out once you guys started singing because I started singing <laughs> LL Cool J's Deepest, Bluest. Oh, yes! Like a that's a great and song! That's, <laughs> that's the yes. peak theme song, in my opinion. Oh, we, my we, God. We still haven't touched the best one. Kiss by a Rose by Seal on the Batman Forever soundtrack. That's not rap. That's, that's not <laughs> he's not with Heidi Klum anymore. No. He's not with Heidi Klum anymore. We're not talking about it. Let's keep moving on. Yeah, I don't even know. You, you're just a heel out here today. <laughs> oh my God. So, moving right along and keeping, uh, I mean, we're not going too far with this because it all connects. It all connects. So, Indiana Jones 5 is coming up. And we've all been kind of trepidatious about that because Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, nobody's recovered from that. But there is maybe some hope on the horizon because we got word that Steven Spielberg is not going to be tackling this one and that they're eyeing James Mangold, director of The Wolverine, Logan, 310 to Yuma, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, the most recent one, as a potential replacement, which, yo, I'm down with that if that happens. I think... Mangle's one of the kind of quietly one of the better directors that we've seen in like the last five years. And he's done it with some solid hits like the Wolverine, like Logan, like 310 to Yuma. But he's kind of really grown into his own now. He's, you hear him mentioned in like Oscar races more and things like that. So I think he's a great mix of like the kind of people we were talking about. Like when we were talking about, um, you know, directors who could take over. What were we recently talking about? Who's like a new director? Uh, I know we were talking about Sam Raimi when yeah, uh, we were talking Doctor about Sam Strange Raimi. Happened. Well, he's a good example. I mean, that's a good parallel. So James Mangold's a guy who knows how to make something distinctly artistic in his own, but like it's still been through the company's studio process and knows how to kind of ride that wave and balance it and balance the art of it with the studio of it and kind of come out the middle he learned a lot from that last section of wolverine y'all like yeah. the silver samurai that yeah. whole thing like he learned a lot we were and if you've never read the actual movie james mangold was gonna make like you should go back and read that no like, it's, it's pretty interesting yeah it's, pretty it's awesome. really interesting yeah that whole scene with wolverine in the village would have been on a lot longer and it would have yeah. been like a lot crazier so james mangold's directing uh potentially directing indiana jones 5 uh that gives me hope i don't know about the rest of you absolutely Sounds awesome. I love all his movies. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick? I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't. there's nothing about James Mangold that I think automatically, oh, of course, that makes perfect sense. I don't have anything against him. There's nothing that uh, excites me too much about it. But when it comes to 
Indiana Jones, you know, sure, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not very good, but it's still an Indiana Jones movie, so I still like seeing, you know, Indiana Jones gingerly brush someone's shoulder and it sounding like a sledgehammer. So I'm fully on board with any new Indiana Jones and the fact that George Lucas won't be in it saying, well, this would be great, but what if we have a bunch of CGI aliens? So that's going to be an improvement. And I think what's also interesting is that it's now been long enough from Raiders of the Lost Ark was, you know, unfolding in the 30s and now taking place, uh, a movie being made in 2019, that would put us at like the mid 70s that Indiana Jones would be in. So that idea, I think, is cool to me is, is seeing Mangold tackle this period piece of Indiana Jones, you know, hunting relics and stuff. Yeah, I mean, we've missed the obvious joke here that the internet immediately went to, which is, is this going to be the Logan version of Indiana Jones? Is like Indy, you and, still have time. Yeah, he's like dying of cancer. He's got one last artifact to find to like save some kid or something like that. But you just sold me. Yeah. Like that, I will watch that because I was not very excited for this In franchise. At the very end, he gets, he's coming down the hill, but this time the boulder gets him. But right before he does, he throws the artifact away and a mutt catches it and swings on a vine with some monkeys to safety. And with his yeah. dying breath, he says, I hate snakes. Yeah. Yeah. My my whole thing with this is what is his pitch on do does he look at this project and say we need really old Indiana Jones or does he look at it as no, we need new we need a new Indian. Need Shia. No, I, I mean it's been pretty well established <laughs> that like there is not going to be a Har- oh, Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford at this point. So like that's a mistake, but that's just I mean, I mean that's arguable. I mean, Indiana Jones definitely is ripe for uh, reinvention more so than like easier than Bond. Um, or something like that, and there's plenty of charismatic young men of today that could take over that role. But, I mean, Indiana Jones is also arguably a creation of, like, the serial era that, like, these kids have no idea what that is. Like, it'd be hard to reintroduce the entire concept of Indiana Jones in a modern setting because it's just one of those things that comes from a world and a time and a place that, like... Now, if you put Lil in front of it, Lil Indy. Oh, my God. Lil Indy. Matt. Sometimes <laughs> with a soundtrack by Post Malone. Oh, if yeah. you make it this little Indian Post Malone, Post Malone's so cover of Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so that little Indian. Post Malone does Toto's Africa <laughs> for Indiana Jones 5. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just we go to Africa. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm really interested to see. I mean, but Mangold, to be fair, like Patrick said, I don't think anybody thinks of a James Mangold as one of those directors that you hear his name and you're like, yes! They got him. They got him. Like they got him. <laughs> I, I was hoping for it. Like he's just one of those dudes. You're like, oh, all right. And then you probably have to remind people, like, what his movies he's are. He's sneaky good. Yeah, he's very sneaky good. Yeah. Like, and you have to remind people what his films are. And like a lot of his films don't necessarily like blow people away. They're just very solid, good stories. He's like a Gavin Hood type director. He makes great dad movies. Like Ford vs Ferrari is a yeah. fantastic dad movie. Yeah, I mean, and now even Logan's a great dad movie for, I mean, literally and figuratively a great dad movie. So I'm looking forward to this, and maybe he'll nail some of this indie stuff with somebody like Mutt or something a lot better than what we saw in number four. There's a room for their serious slot and themes about Indiana Jones being this kind of guy about, you know, world cultures and knowledge and history and all the important things that are not so much in vogue anymore, you know? That people don't care about anymore. So the idea of a sexy history professor is like, <laughs> you know, that's not one of those things we celebrate today. 
Uh, not a lot of girls drawing over their closed eyelids for that anymore. Uh, you know. <laughs> Dude, you don't remember that in Indiana Jones? That's like one of the things we're teaching a class. We're teaching the class, and the girl yeah. closes her eyes, and there's and like a message the, yeah. to him, like on it. Oh, right. it's just, it's yeah. just uh, that was a deep cut. That's good though. Yeah, dude, that was like <laughs> that disturbed me. That freaked me out. I was like, women are that aggressive? Oh my god! And that started my life as an info cell. Anyway, so moving right along from Indiana Jones, we're gonna take a break really quick. But when we come back, we're gonna take our deep dives of the day. We are going to talk about The Invisible Man, and we are going to talk about WWE Super Showdown. I think we're going to save uh, My Hero Academia till next week. Hopefully we could get uh, maybe Megan Peters in here, Queen of Anime, to talk about it. So stay tuned for Invisible Man Review, WWE Super Showdown Recap, when we come back. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Alrighty then. So, the Invisible Man remake. We got a new version of Invisible Man uh, from Universal Pictures. In originally, this was going to be part of its Dark Universe franchise. R.I.P. Uh, to that. Uh, that started with Tom Cruise's The Mummy, and I believe this one was the one that was going to have Johnny Depp as the Invisible yeah. Man. Yeah. Johnny Depp. Well, now he's happy, really being an Invisible Man from a spotlight with all he's got going on right now. So that's good timing. But. Uh, yeah, it might not have been a good look for his persona right now, so that's good. So what we get instead is Lee Winnell, who was instrumental in doing this, working with James Wan to do the Saw and the um, Insidious franchises, and he broke out on his own and did some of the later Insidious sequels, and he just did, uh, what was that movie last Upgrade. year? Upgrade, yeah. That was great. Yeah, Upgrade was Logan Marshall Green, the poor man's Tom Hardy. So basically, like, yeah, so he's had a lot of directorial experience. And what we get in Invisible Man is kind of the culmination of Lee Winnell's all his training that he's been doing. Um, it's kind of like an Insidious movie. It's kind of like Upgrade uh, with some of the kind of science horror stuff that it does. I really enjoyed it. I posted on Twitter. I'm going to let Patrick kind of do the bulk of this kind of review portion. And we're going to do this in two parts. First, we're just going to give our general impressions. Then we'll talk spoilers so everybody can get a little bit of each. Uh, and so my non-spoiler feeling is... What I really like about this movie is, first of all, Elizabeth Moss is a boss. Like, she can act her pants off. And a lot of this movie works because she is so great about bringing that same kind of handmaiden's tale mix of just horrible trauma, but also kind of fierce determination and fire. And her character serves as a very good kind of avatar for what women have gone through for domestic abuse and even just of different kinds, physical, mental, emotional they kind of touch on all of that here and walking that very difficult line of, of mixed emotions where, you know, this movie really does kind of do a good job of without hitting you over the head with it, kind of showcasing the subtlety of the, of the complexity of what abuse does, showing you, and the genius of this film is not being exploitative in the sense of showing you scenes of, like, the female protagonist getting, like, you know, beaten with a belt by the man who's just to say he's abusive. It's more about the subtleties and the lasting trauma of those things that you go through when even when they're over and it uses that invisible man monster 
as a great metaphor for the, what I call like the specter of domestic abuse, the lingering effects of it kind of given shape in supernatural form. And that's what makes it really intense, this movie. And it is intense from start to finish, from the very first scene to the very last scene. It's kind of just always, you're never really comfortable. You're always on the edge. And you're on edge about just what's going to happen to this woman at any given point. And they really do succeed in making you care. And you're not always worried about like her getting killed like in a traditional horror movie. You're worried about her having to go through more abuse of any kind, of just the slightest things, whether it's one of her friends not believing her and like kind of pushing away from her or just her struggling with her own mind and feelings. So I think by kind of making the real world parallels really resonant in this, it did a good job of using this classic monster concept in a very novel and new way. And I think it really works. Now, when you start to think about some of the mechanics of all this and how it plays out and the whole just invisibility thing, it, it can get a little murky really quick. So as long as you can just accept that there's a dude who can turn himself invisible, you're pretty good. But that, were my, that was my feeling. Uh, Patrick wrote an excellent review that you can read on comicbook.com horror or just click in the uh, description of our show, of the show for the link to that. Uh, Patrick, give us a quick rundown about your review. Boil your excellent words down into just a blurb. <laughs> well, uh, you, you definitely touched upon this, that it, it so effectively um, utilizes themes of domestic abuse yet I never felt like the film had to rely on those as a crutch to, like, sell the premise. Because it's not about uh, the fact that Elizabeth Moss is a woman and she's trying to escape an invisible man. It's about someone wanting to express their torment on any individual for any reason. You know, the roles could absolutely have been reversed and the film would have been just as effective but uh, the way that Lee Winnell made it this uh, uh, emotionally abusive, physically abusive relationship just heightened the torment. And, and you were able to see more of those allegories of like a woman trying to find help and saying like, I know no one's going to believe this, but this person is, you know, uh, uh, expressing their authority and trying to uh, exert their power over me and everyone else being like, we really want to be there for you, but it's hard to believe you because we don't think this person is capable of that. So that really just heightens what at its core is just a good, it, it plays out like a, a good haunted house movie because it is just that feeling of there's someone in here with me and I can't see them and they have a, a malevolent intention uh, so it, it just is so effective that it's hard to believe we've had to wait this long to get this movie that no one's really like cracked this nut of a successful premise and of a, a successful formula. And, you know, we have hollow man, we have <laughs> the original invisible man. Like, I don't know what you're talking seen about. <laughs> the, we've seen the guy becomes invisible and goes crazy and does awful things. We've seen that before. So to just, flip that premise and say, okay, but how do the victims feel about, you know, feel like feeling like they're being watched or they're being tormented uh, uh, really just makes not only just as a straightforward horror movie, uh, a very entertaining, very riveting experience, but then also to add those complexities of those various, you know, misogynist microaggressions, just, just elevate it 
above just a run-of-the-mill horror movie. All right, so now we are going to get into full spoilers for Invisible Man. This will be a full spoilers discussion of Invisible Man. If you do not want to hear that, you might want to just go forward about four minutes or so until we start talking wrestling. But, yeah, we're going to talk full spoilers about Invisible Man. So, uh, in full spoilers breakdown, kind of what I really loved about this movie, and when I thought about it later, is... Oliver Jackson Cohen, who played the very troubled, drug-addled brother in uh, Haunting of Hill House, he plays the Invisible Man, who is like this uh, very famous inventor named Adrian, who is, <laughs> what I love, one of the wor- worst lines of this movie, though, is the throwaway line is, he's a world leader in optics. So that's like our explanation for how he can make an Invisi suit. Uh, yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> Apparently, in this movie, like, it gives you superpowers. You're like Bruce Wayne if you're a world leader in optics. So... Anyway, but what the movie does is it never actually, I didn't realize this until thinking about it, but it never shows you him doing anything evil with any kind of clear lens. In the beginning, there's like a, where the whole beginning sequence is Elizabeth Moss escaping from his house. Um, he has all these crazy security and alarms. It's a whole intricate escape plan she's been planning for a while that she finally executes one night while he's sleeping. And it's tense as hell because it's like her trying to watch him in bed on a camera on, on her phone and like get out of this house and do all these things to get out of the house. And even when he finally does appear, like when she's in a car with her sister, it doesn't show him. It just shows this kind of blurry figure run out, smash the window, try to grab her, and they drive off. And then it doesn't show him ever again throughout the movie, like until the very end, except in a picture like that says he committed suicide, which we know is false. So when all the invisible stuff man happens, it's, it's just this invisible specter. And in the third act, you get to see the suit itself when it begins to malfunction a little bit. Um, but you don't ever... Even when it shows you the suit, it never really shows you him, ever. No, There's no dialogue scenes. I think he says one word to her that becomes the cornerstone of the whole thing, which is he says surprise. Because uh, the movie in the third act takes a big turn. Like Up until then, like Patrick said, it's a very much a haunted house movie um, with Elizabeth Moff just having to deal with the fact that she knows somebody's there, but she can't prove it. Uh, it takes a twist when she goes to meet out her sister who, because he does stuff. He goes into her email, uses her computer. He makes everybody in her life kind of push away from her. And when she finally gets her sister to come back, they, she goes to a public place, a big restaurant, and says she's trying to tell her sister because she goes to the house. She finds the whole key that makes the third act both good and bad is she goes to her house, finds a second suit, and stashes it away in his house so she could come back and prove it because he tracks her there and chases her out in an invisible suit. So she goes to meet her sister, and she's talking to her sister, and she confesses to her sister that she has this suit. And as she's talking to her sister, her sister like looks because there's this knife just hanging in the air, and then it just slices her throat, and then, flick, and then he throws it into her hand in the middle of the restaurant. And so she gets arrested, and her sister gets like brutally murdered right there. And that kind of kicks off the third act where she's like, okay, like F this, I'm going to kill this dude. Um, and the ending is very murky because essentially what happens is he uses his brother to stage an attack on her best friend and his daughter, uh, Trip from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Aldous oh, okay. who's great in this movie. And she knows that the brother, he made the brother take the fall because the brother was just like a wormy kind of coward that was also dominated by this other brother. And so the, the killer stages that his brother locked him away in, in a cell in his house, and he was the victim, and and all that stuff, and so people are now sympathetic towards him. And so the very last scene in the movie is she goes to meet him for the first time, and for the first time you see him outside of a suit. And the whole scene is she, her cop friend is recording this, and she's trying to get him to confess. And this dude, in one of the best scenes I've seen in movies, he won't 
confess, it's a total gaslighting. She says, please, like, don't make me think I'm crazy. I know you did all this stuff in the suit. I know it wasn't just your brother. And he refuses to break. He refuses to do anything but pretend he's, like, the perfect boyfriend. And the only thing he says to her is, that would be a surprise. And he, like, emphasizes it because that's the word he said to her yeah. after he killed her sister. And that's, like, the only hit. And the guy, Cohen, kind of plays that scene very well. So with the cameras all recording and her friend listening, what she does is get the second suit out come back in and slit his throat and put the knife in his hand so it looks like he killed himself. And that's the end of the movie. And she gets her friend, the cop, to be like, he killed himself, right? And at the end, the guy's just like, yeah. And she walks off with, like, the suit and her dog, that, <laughs> which is a hilarious part of the movie, the dog. But it's been very kind of, like, murky. But what this does is you never get the crutch, like Patrick said, of seeing this guy act like a monster. Yeah, It's not about the guy. And that's the brilliant part of the movie. They don't make it. They don't try to do the sympathy. Oh, he was abused. Oh, he was. None of that. He's just an ass. He's a monster. He's a sociopath. No talk about mom and dad or the family. None of that. Yeah. And you don't ever see it from him directly. So it's not about him. It becomes, like I said, what he does to her and the effect of his abuse is what becomes the quote unquote real monster of the movie. Yeah. And the Invisible Man stuff just becomes this excellent metaphor for that still plaguing her and bothering her. Um, I don't know what message you get out of the end. Uh, that's a little bit murkier because you can't just go and slit everybody's throat who's ever hurt you. That's well, if you a, have an invisible suit, you can. Yeah, that's not a necessarily the best uh, resolution of the message. But it really does, like I said, what it does to you is make you scared of the abuse. So it's not about killing her. That's not the threat. Like, the guy's obsessed with her. He doesn't want to kill her. He just wants to ruin her and, like, basically drive her crazy. And that's the thing you're concerned about. You, this movie, using a horror premise, actually makes you give a crap about domestic abuse in a way that's very rare for us to think of outside of our own personal lives. Like, and I think that's the real kind of payoff that this movie provides. Patrick, how did you feel about the ending to this movie? Yeah, I, th I think the ending and how people react to it is going to be very telling of the audience themselves because people who have experienced abuse or have are, are just familiar with that situation, I'm sure they're going to see that uh, act of justice of, of Elizabeth Moss. Like, yeah, you know, uh, I saw it with, you know, press people, so everyone's reactions were very subdued. But, I you know, I want to see this opening weekend and see how many people, you know, applaud at that moment. Because I'm sure it is going to be this empowering, like, yes, finally she's able to uh, uh, take back her own, you know, independence and and stand up for herself. Whereas I'm sure there's going to be other people who are going to understandably say like, but wait, do we even know how much of that stuff actually happened? And, and that's not necessarily uh, an incorrect opinion to have, but I think that's what makes the film so successful is it uh, plants that question in your head of, how much are you going to believe what you're seeing versus what's told to you? And do you uh, put your faith in the people telling you they're experiencing this trauma? Or do you just look at the cold, hard facts of the situation? So I think that's what's so effective. And also just a reminder of like in situations of abuse or trauma of any kind, there's never going to be a black and white solution of, good and evil or right and wrong it's just this big gray area of all of the ways that abuse just sends these these shock waves and ripples through the entire community or social circle or whatever which is almost reflected in the opening sequence where the title cards 
come up with these waves crashing on the rocks and reveal, you know, the Invisible Man logo, that it's, it's, it's waves and waves of torment and trauma and abuse that, that hopefully will be broken by the end of the film. All right, yeah. And just to add, I mean, there's also the final thing, which I think will be more inter- kind of controversial and interesting talking points of the finale, which is, you know, there is a whole line of theory about people, when you've suffered abuse, the danger of it kind of seeping into you and replicating those types of behaviors, uh, which, you know, you can look at the ending as a justice thing, or there's argument to be made that it is the other way because, I mean, she starts dressing differently. Like, everything is very different, and it's a much darker character who walks out of that house. As I do want to mention, speaking of seeing, if you are at all interested in seeing this movie, go see it opening weekend with a packed crowd because it has some of the biggest oh, yeah. scares. And well-earned. That, but I'm sure... I'm sure I'm sure by the end of the year, it will go down as, you know, maybe not the best horror film, but just some of the most, like, edge of your seat, uh, uh, huge monster scares that, you know, I'm pretty well accustomed to scares and picking up on those things. And, and they had a huge impact on me, especially thanks to the, the sound design of the film. It is uh, uh, ferocious, uh, is the, how I would describe this yeah, film. Yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. Um, and there are some moments that, like like you say, jump scares are hard to come by these days and earn because you can most people can sense them. But this movie, using the invisible premise, just straight up just catches you off guard in certain moments. Like, yeah. So go check out Invisible Man. Uh, I gave it four stars in my own little Twitter review. Patrick, would you give it? Yeah, I, I gave it four stars. It's it's not, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to go down as like, you know, a best of the decade type of film. There's definitely other films that, that I've liked this year. But it's just, it's just very solid, very engaging, uh, has a lot to say, very effective, uh, lots, lots of good stuff. All right. So that's Invisible Man. We'll throw it over now to our wrestling experts, Matt and Connor. You guys, WWE Super Showdown. You thought this was going to be a very different event today. You guys had very plans on plans on plans on keeping up with everything that was going to be going on. You were going to film a whole segment for this. And then what did we get? A tooth. <laughs> we got a flying tooth. We don't know if it was a tooth. It might have been. The a flying tooth. tooth is WWE's newest star. <laughs> I wrote about it, so it's a tooth. Dang it, it's a tooth. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, yes, Kofi. We did have a WWE show today. We had the Super Showdown, and Matt, I think you share my uh, my disappointment with this uh, with this show. Just overall, yes, yes. I agree. But and I didn't know which part. I, I think you know had. which part I'm talking about. Okay. I don't really have any other issues with this show i'm fine with undertaker beating oh, styles because here's the thing styles is basically teflon he can just come back on monday cut a promo and they've got to match it so just to give There's you guys no context the undertaker came out and choke slam day he basically put right like a gavin here. hood warrior tom hardy on aj styles yeah. with just one quick the ref said someone come down by the count of 10 Undertaker took an hour that's, to get down to the ring. He should have been disqualified. That's so ridiculous. That's anyway, what, that's whatever. And he that, should have come is, down in a cart because the dude did one move. He got paid like nine million dollars to do yeah. one move and then go away. He did but that's that. not so what, boring. That's right. not what frustrated me, and that's not why <laughs> certain wrestling fans are turning into this uh, episode right now. I think they're tuning in because they want to know what we thought of that main event. Still lame. I, I I was... Who was the main event? The main event was Goldberg versus Bray Wyatt for the WWE Universal Championship. Otherwise, Goldberg, may I remind you, is 53 years old and is already a WWE Hall of Famer. Yes. And, and his still prime has, ended 15 years ago. And he still has the best entrance in wrestling. Just putting that out there. That's my little hot take. Fine. 
<laughs> still out there. And then he came down, and the fiend Bray Wyatt is one of the hottest. For those who are not really paying attention to wrestling, he's one of the hottest characters slash gimmicks, whatever. And WWE has protected him very much. They've they've actually done what a lot of people didn't think they would do, and put him over. They keep him with the belt. They've done a very good job. So people obviously assumed well. To put a metaphor on it, they strapped the rocket onto it. Yeah. They, he, was introduced in the, he was introduced in a match at SummerSlam last August. The last four months before that, he had been hyping up his persona with these really interesting and intricate segments. That the more de- Well, the more detail you looked at him, the more you could find out about the character. Yeah. And that's never something you had on television. No. On WWE television. So the fact that you had it here was like, Hey, this guy's actually really putting a lot of effort into this. Yeah. And that match with Finn is great. And say what the the, the Hell in a Cell match was bad, but then they redeemed themselves a month later and just put the title on him. So here we go. Unstoppable force going into WrestleMania. And then he's got to fight a 53-year-old. Which is fine on its face because I get it. Saudi Arabia is where this event took place. These shows are essentially a giant money grab. So they bring all of their biggest legends and they try and fill it up. It's a once, what is it, twice a year show now? Twice a year. Twice a year. So they try and put on a show for that audience because they don't get to see every pay-per-view. Like, WWE has how many pay-per-views a year for, the, for the states and forever, right? So they get to see this twice a year. So I get why they put Goldberg in a match. I, I don't, I I don't totally necessarily have the problem. It's the fact that Goldberg beat him in four spears and one very questionable jackhammer. Oh, that was not a jackhammer. In three minutes. And that was three and a half spears. He beat him in three minutes. Goldberg's new move should guy, be called you the have lean. Been building because up, he leaned into him. Guy you've been building up for nearly a year, and you beat him in three minutes. It was sad. It was very sad. And I get, I see people on Twitter saying, oh, you just don't get it. Goldberg's a bigger draw. Here's the thing. I saw and that tweet. Camera two, close <laughs> up on me. I want, I I want you to hear this. You want to know how you make a star like Bray Wyatt as big as Bill Goldberg? You have him beat Bill Goldberg and other stars just as big as Bill Goldberg. And then fans will say, oh, he's just as big as Bill Goldberg because he beat him. It's I just that like that we call simple. him Bill now. It is I really like it when easy. Connor says Bill Goldberg for some reason. Like, Bill Goldberg, like, it has authority. I dig it. Uh, it's that I, simple. Because all you, because here's the thing they had, this was the plan Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, WrestleMania 36, yeah. next month. Fine. Yeah. People can get behind Roman. The dude overcame cancer. There's a fantastic story there, and Bray is a great guy to play off that with. Even if the match isn't great, there's a good story to be told there. What do you have now? now you have Goldberg, who, you know, the old school guys love, the old school fans. I'm you know, a giant you Goldberg up, mark. If I you were grown up in the 90s, yeah, he was great. He was awesome. He's awesome. A staple of the Attitude Era, without, any, without question, the Monday Night Wars, without well, any question. Well, he's a staple of the WWE. Okay, he's a staple of WCW. Well, he's a staple of the Monday Night Wars. WCW champion yes. for the longest. Like that. That's where undefeated. A lot streak. of people. His remember. his stuff with Hogan. Yeah, it was all great. Yeah. Here's the thing. You can't keep going back to the well and relying on old stars like that. You have to actually build people up, or else all these new fans are going to go. Who's that old guy that can barely lift yes. up his opponent? I I look. I agree and with you. Here's the thing. If it's Goldberg Roman, who do you cheer for? Who's the bad guy in that equation? Yeah, I, I, nobody. Yeah, yeah, I know. So they're just gonna boo Roman again, which is what they don't want. I I agree with you. I am not disagreeing. I thought this was. I did not think they would pull the trigger on this. I thought they would put Fiend over. Uh, I also or, or I know that, that tweet you're referring over, to not is Bully even Ray. Over. Just have him, <laughs> just have him low blow or you know yeah, do something, something where the ref has to call for the bell and then he disappears. Here's the thing: Bully Ray's tweet is not wrong either. 
It's not wrong. It's WrestleMania season. This is what WWE does to sell out events and to build up hype. They bring back. Now, I don't get Here, why you can the, be so here's the nonchalant other, about Undertaker. Here's the other thing. And be so riled by because, Goldberg. They're the same. They're the same. Undertaker didn't beat AJ Styles for the championship with one choke slam. And here's the thing I don't understand also, camera two. I'm looking at <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> I, lo- I hear this argument with certain wrestlers. Bray Wyatt was actually one of them. That you don't need, this guy doesn't need the world championship. He's big enough on his own. He doesn't need it. Why does that conversation disappear when Goldberg walks in a room? Or with Brock Lesnar, same thing. Why, why does that conversation suddenly go, oh, no, he needs a championship. Why? He's a Hall of Famer. He, all you have to do is put him on the card and people get attention. Yeah. It doesn't matter what he's fighting for or who he's fighting. We got excited yeah. for Goldberg to fight Dolph Ziggler, even though we knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. You just wanted to see it. I think that's says... the exact same thing at Mania. If he's fighting Roman for no title, if he's fighting Cena for no title, if he's fighting Baron Corbin for no yeah. title. Well, no, it I would... don't want to see that. Well, <laughs> people would want to see Goldberg to squash him. Yeah. I, I think that says more about the title than it does the wrestler. The, the titles the have ti- been lagging behind the, for years. The man makes the title. And if the man is already made, why does he need it? I, no, I he agree. Does, with you. He he didn't. I don't think this. this helps anything going forward into WrestleMania. I don't think this. I think this makes their biggest star, questionably, arguably, look weak. Uh, I think the ending was also crap, where they tried to do a very uh, Invisible Man-ish disappearance act, where he's like there one second and he's gone the next. I hated all that. Like, like I'm not. I'm yeah. sad now. I'm gonna go teleport away and then. Pop up and no, none say of hi it, to my friend John tomorrow. None of it makes sense. Speaking but, of Invisible Men. Why? Who? John Cena's not in the Invisible Man movie. What the hell? Yeah, that was a that, missed opportunity. That's his figure right there. That's a missed <laughs> opportunity. Oh, I will say this, Kofi. Before you wrap up, I know I'm hot in this segment. I know I'm a little bit frustrated. But here's the thing. There is some positivity this weekend. Do you know why? Yes. Because we got AEW Revolution on Saturday. This pay-per-view is amazing. It's only seven matches, and I love it. Connor's favorite. I'm really Connor's ex- favorite. He's I'm so really angry. excited. They had a show last night in Kansas City, my hometown, and it was <laughs> awesome. You had a 30-minute Iron Man match with Kenny Omega and Pac, and it was fantastic. Do you want to? Do you want to call on camera two? Camera two. <laughs> look at me. Look at <laughs> my then. eyes when I tell you you need to watch AEW Revolution on Saturday. Also, go read my post about the tooth. The thing I'm more, <laughs> the thing I'm more concerned about in all this is like what's going to happen to Goldberg's acting career, like. This is going to set it back a ways. Well, uh, Santa Slays 2 has been delayed. I'm sorry. Yeah, and the Flash needs, you know, you know though, Slayer. We need, back, we need that back. We could always get a Nash Bridges redo. And that's a good place. <laughs> that's a good, random, useless place. Tom Johnson, man. Like I said, good, random, useless place to end this episode of Comic Book Nation. If you are just now getting into the show and uh, after that ending, I hope you stick with it. We put up new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to our RSS feed. Or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Google Playlists. Or if you want to watch video of the show, you can always go on comicbook.com's YouTube page and check it out there. Or if you want to talk with us or just leave an opinion about anything we talked about on the show, please go to the hashtag ComicBookNation and do so. Or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. At ConnorCasey underscore CB. And you can find me at Matt Aguilar, CB. And you can see Patrick's uh, handle right over there, over his window. It's at the Wolfman. Uh, so you can find him there. Now, camera three, look at me. <laughs> look at me. 
If you enjoy the show, go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Because we are coming up next week, I think, on our next show, we are going to read some reviews on the air. And if we read your five-star review from iTunes on the show, we will send you a free Comic Book Nation t-shirt just like this one. Camera three. Get this. Get this camera three. And five free sweaters. Again? Stop. No. <laughs> Matt, you Matt, Matt is going to really tie you us up in CBS Legal. I was on. And Viacom CBS Legal does not support anything Matthew Aguilar is saying. We send you one shirt. <laughs> That's the agreement Viacom <laughs> CBS has made. So if you like the show, leave a review. You get a shirt. I don't know about the rest. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. Thank you for tuning in. As always, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace. Later.